0: Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Bluetooth Bacteria Podcast. I'm your host, Leah, and I'm here with my iGEM team members, Victor, Angel, Sabrina, and Dara. If you are new to this podcast, we are part of the Pittsburgh iGEM team, and our goal is to talk about current advances in synthetic biology and its different applications. Today, we are very excited to have Chinmay from the Icer Pune India team to talk a little about what they're working on and some of the challenges that they have faced so far. So thank you so much, Chinmay, for being here today. Before we get started, do you mind telling us a little bit more about you and your team and what you're doing?
1: Yeah. Hi. Um, this is actually our first year participating in iGEM And um, I personally found out about the competition last year in about November when the current Asia ambassador, who's also my senior, um, was like, this is the perfect thing for you. And I was like, what is it? Apparently, it was a synthetic biology competition, which... Um, sounded very exciting. So, during our final term examinations, we put together a team of around fifteen people, and we have stuck um, stuck it out for the last eight months or so.
0: Wow, that's rough. We we have one one returning member on our team, and I can't imagine being being starting one, especially in this year with without lab and with everything that's going on. That's impressive, for sure.
1: Yeah, we're currently fourteen members, with um, interests in like biotechnology and physics. Some in computation and mathematics.
0: That's very nice. Can you tell us about what your project is and and what you're trying to solve with your synthetic biology innovation? Yeah, definitely.
1: So initially, when we went into lockdown in March, um, we had to shift into a theoretical project that was kind of more computation heavy than wet lab heavy. So whatever our old idea was, we had to scrap that. And while um, brainstorming for newer ideas, we came across this really cool molecule. It's called a cyclotide. It's basically a circular protein sequence, about 20 to 30 amino acids long. And the cool thing about it is, is that it's highly resistant to high temperatures and peptidases in your gut. So this makes it the perfect drug delivery system. And it's been experimented on using some anti-cancer drugs, but uh, it was never used for anything else. And then we thought a little bit more until we saw the problem of malaria being really prominent in some of the Asian countries. So malaria has this, the Plasmodium falciparum malaria specifically has this one unique property where it is able to develop resistance against whatever treatment you give it really quickly. So the challenge is to come up with a treatment that can um, overcome this problem in some sort of way. Because if you keep on bringing out treatments and they, um, if the parasites grow resistant to them really quickly, then what's the point of having a good treatment? So we designed this approach. We call it the EDTA approach. And Our final aim is eradicating malaria. That's for the E. D stands for diagnostics. T stands for therapeutic. And A for awareness. So it's a whole pipeline where we want to eradicate malaria. That's our final goal. And we have narrowed it down into three different plans of action. So the procedure for eradicating malaria is diagnostics, therapeutics, and then awareness so that it's easier for anyone or for a healthcare worker to actually find out if there are malaria cases. Then the therapeutics approach is to treat malaria and keep treating malaria because drug resistance is such a big issue nowadays. And the third is awareness so that we prevent malaria from happening. Mm-hmm. So the diagnostic tool that we are trying to build is this full scope paired with a machine learning algorithm both of those already exist and we want to do something novel by putting to putting them together and something that you can use without the help of a laboratory or an expert. So all you need is a smartphone and you just use this full scope, um, magnify the images of the RBCs that are infected and the algorithm automatically is able to tell you whether you have malaria or not. So you don't need an expert. You don't need a lab and this can massively save time because one of the problems we found out by talking to experts in the field was that accessibility is a major issue. A lot of experts can't reach remote villages where malaria is really prominent. So the diagnostic tool can take care of that, uh, actually finding new cases, studying lines, and all of that. While the therapeutics approach is where the magical component, the cyclotide, fits in. Okay, so the therapeutic approach because something, goes something like this. Um, we're aiming to design a peptide drug library. Essentially what you would be able to do is choose a drug from this library and then use it till the parasite develops resistance against it. Once that happens, you can just discard this drug and then choose a new one. And then you can keep doing this for, for as many drugs that are in the library. On an average the time scale for developing resistance is about five to ten years. So if you have a lot of drugs that you have backed up and lined up, then you can keep treating malaria for a long period of time, fifty years at least, maybe.
0: Can you talk a little bit about like what methods already exist and so like how you're kind of expanding on that? Like I know you mentioned the library, but like what kinds of treatments they're already using.
1: So currently there are major forms of malaria that needs attention. One is caused by vivax, like plasmodium vivax and the other is caused by plasmodium falciparum The more severe one is plasmodium falciparum because it is able to develop resistance really quickly There is this treatment called ACT uh, which stands for artemisinin combination therapy and it is basically a series of drugs that you give the patient which act on different um stages of the life cycle of the parasite inside the body so when it is maturing in the liver um, there is one drug that targets that and then there's a ring phase in the um, in the bloodstream in the rbcs there's another drug that targets that so what's been observed is that there are reports of this treatment failing and this is basically basically the last line of defense we have all the rest are slowly starting to go and if this goes away, then we're left defenseless against this material uh, subtype. So yeah, that's that's the that's the crux of the problem we want to fix. This is where the cyclotide is coming. The cyclotide actually has six loops, and there are three disulfide bonds in it. So the disulfide bonds are responsible for the stability, and these loops are where you can graft in a sequence of the peptides that you want as your inhibitor maybe. So in any one of these six loops, if you're able to come up with a sequence that's short around 11 to 20 uh, amino acids long you can easily graft it in and retain the structure that the cyclotides have. So you can preserve the properties of stability um, inside the body while having the graft inside. So with Uh, choosing to use cyclotides as our delivery system. Now, that brings us to what are we going to graft into the cyclotides. So for that, we did some uh, protein analysis of various interactions between the malarian parasite and human cells. And we found out that it's easiest to get rid of these parasites in the bloodstream. So what we have decided is to target one interaction, there is an EMP protein, which is the erythro, erythrocyte membrane protein of the plasmodium falciparum parasite. And then there is an ICAM protein in the humans. So, when you have two different interacting surfaces, we want to create an inhibitor which can competitively bind to the PfEMP or the EMP protein, so that the parasites can't latch on to the red blood cells. And this will be delivered to the bloodstream using the cyclotides.
0: That's a lot, (laughs) definitely. Now we're just going to shift a little bit of gears and I'm going to ask you if you have considered the moral or ethical limitations and applications of your project. So how expensive would this be? You know, how does that compare to the treatments that are already out there? And, you know, is this actually going to be accessible for the populace in the rural communities that are most affected by malaria?
1: So, Actually, we had no idea how a drug was developed based on um, what we got off the internet. So we decided to take it to an expert uh, in Tübingen, Germany, and his name is Dr. Bayleman, and he works on tropical diseases in um, tropical countries. <laughs> but he gave us insight like we never had before on what stages there are in drug development and we don't really know how expensive the drug will be but on a time scale it takes anywhere from 12 to 20 years for a drug to be tested and then approved and then sold so that was kind of daunting at first but you know he gave us assurance that yeah, it's, a, it's a good cause. You should stick with it, see it through at least for the first couple of years. Um, but if we're able to develop a series of drugs like this, then it is it might work. There's a very high chance of it working. As for testing them out, that's not really in our hands. We don't have the necessary um, equipment or the licenses to conduct trials on either animals, or even humans, the first, second, third stages of trials, those are probably not in our hands. So all we can do right now is develop the drug, at least develop the concept as much as we can.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, yeah, see where things go later.
0: Yeah. Okay. That That's awesome that you were able to get in contact with an expert to kind of develop that a little bit more. Uh, yeah, I mean... I, for any drug, it's always a very complicated process and very drawn out. And m- most often people won't be with the project from the beginning to end. It'll be different groups taking over different parts of the drug development process. So can you tell me a little bit more about some of the problems that your team f- has faced? I know that you guys are a first year and with COVID and everything that has kind of affected the development of the product, like, like you said, like you had to change the project to a more theoretical and analytical one. Um, What other problems, challenges has your team faced from size or from mentors or communications?
1: So initially we were meeting in college face-to-face and as soon as we found out that the lockdown is uh, closing in, transferring all of the communication online was a big challenge. We weren't used to communicating over email, WhatsApp, uh, even Slack. So getting used to that was kind of challenging. And, um, you know, the certain fight that you get when you joke around with your teammates when you're in the same room versus when you're on a Zoom call is very different. Like the atmosphere suddenly goes to a very um, aim-oriented, goal-oriented thing. Every meeting is uh, has an agenda. And once you're done with the agenda, either people leave or... You stick around, but it's never the same as having a face-to-face fun conversation. So communication really took a big hit. Um, but as in terms of the project idea, we were actually aiming for something completely different. Uh, once we found out that we didn't have access to the labs for the next four months, we had to change the idea. Then we decided to go for a computationally heavy project, but even that had some setbacks. Because the machines that we worked on, the computers that we had, weren't powerful enough to perform all the simulations and the experiments online. That was solved when we mailed a project to give us access to the supercomputer cluster. It's called Parambra. And now it's running smoothly because we have access to that. But for the first couple of months, we were trying to run simulations on our laptops and it would take literally days to complete. So computation is going well. It's actually been a lot harder to reach out to people in terms of human practices. Because uh, earlier what we had planned was we go to these remote areas, villages, and try to talk with the school children over there, interact with them, see what they know, and tell them a thing or two about malaria. Actually, our previous project was something relevant. Um, But in the lockdown none of that is possible. Mm-hmm. And with, with Zoom or Google Meets, the only drawback is you can access only a limited section of the society who have good Wi connections. Yeah. And with the percentage of the population which is rural in India, that is a major setback. Like you can't, you don't have access to a population which doesn't have Wi Fi.
0: Yeah.
1: So, yeah, that that was also really challenging.
0: So what did you guys end up doing? Have you chosen uh, human practices to kind of use what you have? Yeah,
1: we're actually uh, reaching out to our old schools and asking them to, you know, help us out in gathering and reaching out to students in our old schools and whatever colleges they're in touch with. So we have a webinar planned for next week, which will be talking about uh, malaria since it's World Mosquito Day. And... Yeah, that's that's something fun that's going to happen soon. We're actually designing a human practices campaign, which will um, enable the people listening to this webinar or participating in this campaign to take action against malaria. However small the action is, something that they can do to eradicate malaria on their behalf. Something that engages the public, makes it fun for them to participate in,
0: yeah, that sounds very interactive. I think that, that works well with society, typically. So what are your next steps? How are the next few months looking for you?
1: I think we might get to go to the lab. We don't have confirmation yet, but in the next couple of weeks, we'll find out if, you know, transport and everything is feasible. The problem is a lot of our team members are scattered all over the country and coming back to Pune is really tough in terms of transport and restrictions, permissions, etc. So getting the team back on campus is going to be a big task, but we hope that in the next couple of weeks that's sorted out. So once we have access to the lab, um, we'll resume, not resume, we'll start off <laughs> with the experiments that we planned and hopefully confirm that you know, these inhibitors that we designed actually work. Oh,
0: that's awesome. So that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for coming, Chinmay. And we really enjoyed learning about your project. We wish you the best of luck with your return to lab. And I guess we'll see you at the Jamboree. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Leah.
0: Again, that was Isar Pune, India. And that was Chinmay speaking. Thanks again for tuning in for this week's Bluetooth Bacteria Podcast. My name is Leah Franco, and I'll see you next week.